Dead Headspace. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other major platforms. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, with my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Hey, everybody. And today we're joined by the man behind Crystal Lake Publishing, Joe Meinhardt. Hi, everyone. Before we begin, I would just like to remind everybody of Buzz Book Expo 2020. Readers, book reviewers, podcasters, librarians, booksellers, and lovers of great, scary books. Buzz Book Expo 2020 is just around the corner. Buzz Book Expo is a live streaming event in which publishers will be announcing all the great new horror fiction releases they have to offer through the coming year. There will be interviews, Q&As, presentations, book cover reveals, and more from all your favorite horror publishers, all for free. Spend two days immersed in exciting book talk from publishers and authors alike. The event will take place on August 22nd and 23rd. All information, including links to the expo, can be found at Mary Sanji, that is M-A-R-Y-S-A-N-G-I dot WordPress dot com slash BuzzBookExpo2020. We hope to see you there. Joe, thanks for joining us today, man. It's my pleasure. Six hours ahead of uh, us, so really appreciate you uh, staying up for us. Uh, anytime. Now, I feel like this is going to be an interesting answer. What got you into horror? Mm. I thought about this a lot, and it's I can't remember a time when I wasn't attracted to it in some way. Uh, since a young age, it's always what I went for. Like, even in the library, or back then we'd, we only had the library and like a a comic book store, so anything that was a bit more to the darker side, and even though I wasn't allowed to always get it, I would read it in the store or sneak out of bed at night to go and watch a bit of TV, and it was always the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and, and those things that attracted my attention. Joe, I found this really this, this quote uh, from you that really caught my interest. You said, uh, horror gives the writer more room than any other genre. I was kind of hoping to hear you elaborate on that thought a little bit. Well, let's say now you are a romance writer. The, the only other stuff you can bring in is bit of, maybe a bit of adventure, a bit of comedy. And that's it. The moment you go wider than that, you risk losing some of your fans or going away from the recipe that they are so used to. But with horror, I mean, you can bring in everything. Uh, we recently had a, a horror book that had a romance subplot, and that one subplot got more attention than the actual the hauntings and the ghosts and everything, because everyone loved that like romance one in the end. And uh, so, I mean, there's there's nothing that I haven't seen in a horror book that wasn't accepted and liked by not only the readers but the author who was allowed to like, widen scope of it. Yeah, and I've I've heard a That's lot of like. so as a reader you it's a lot. Yeah, and, and I've heard a lot of people basically kind of compare horror to almost like a, a flavoring rather than just a complete genre of itself. So you see its existence in a ton of other types of things. Like you compared, you know, uh, adding uh, romance into it and then putting in those those horror elements. Um, and I think that's one of the big reasons why it is kind of so transcendent because it really has the ability to reach into multiple genres. Uh, yes. Is that, is that something you would agree with? Definitely. 
So let's take this to uh, your publishing company. First off, I gotta ask: Are you a fan of Friday the Thirteenth? <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> um, that's that's one of the movies we I watched a lot as a kid. Uh, I can't remember where my parents were or how I snuck past them, but I always somehow found a way to watch it. And uh, did uh, sorry, even, to today, even today, it's it's not it doesn't. Um, interest me as much anymore because I'm looking for more sophisticated order but even it's nostalgic when I watch it now because I still remember it as a kid so always a fan is there what did you enjoy the whole series or is there maybe one or two that you particularly enjoy of the uh... the first ones one two maybe three after that it lost a lot of the buzz uh, there was the Freddy versus Jason one that I remember it was very popular with my friends as well. So if I just wanted everyone over for for the day, uh, that's the one we watched. <laughs> that's awesome. Freddy vs. Jason's my favorite. Uh, I got a a massive poster of it hung in my room. Uh, I was just, jeez, uh, I was probably 13 or 14 at the time. <laughs> mm, same. You, Crystal Lake Publishing started in 2012. Yes. Was there anything before before we dive into that? Was there publishing wise, and if not writing wise, was there or even editing wise? Was there anything before that that you were involved with? Uh, yes, in two thousand and eight, I started writing mainly because I always wanted to. Like since a kid, I always saw myself like because I don't get out a lot. Um, I'm not a massively social person, uh, so I can see myself spending hours a day just working on one thing at home and uh, eventually 2008 I started writing because um, we finally had internet like before that uh, there wasn't oh, there weren't a lot of opportunities for me to get hold of all the material so I didn't want to just jump in and start writing without any kind of source material I studied teaching so I'm a very analytical person. I want to like work out the steps. How am I going to become a writer? I'm going to do this and this and this and this, uh, which is not the perfect way. But uh, when I was finally able to come online, uh, internet at home, I started taking a few quick courses and joining forums and chatting with other people. And I think in 2009, I sold my first story and then I was hooked. So I just kept writing. What was that story? Do you remember? Or where it was uh, published with? Um, it was a hundred word story that earned me $50, which I mean, now remember I'm in South Africa. So by the back then it was probably times 12. So all of a sudden I was hooked, not just with getting published, but actually getting paid. And uh, it was a story about a father and his daughter who when a car accident and if I remember correctly, uh, he drowned and his ghost saved her from drowning. Uh, so she was stuck on the beach and everyone was running into the water and I can't even remember, but he saved her. So again, there was a lot of uh, emotion in the story. People like that part more than the, the fact that there was horror and a ghost. Uh, so it showed me what horror can do and yeah. uh, what people like about it. <laughs> That's pretty neat, man. So before Crystal Lake Publishing, did you edit anything as well? I was part of a writer's forum where I think we were about uh, 
100, 150 authors. And it was almost like a beta reading group where we would also help edit. And we learned about editing from editing each other's work. Sorry, work. <clears throat> and, uh, and then we even edited each other's edits. So you would learn the art of writing from mainly the authors, but there were a bunch of editors there as well. And uh, you always learn something new from their writing, your own writing, your edits on their writing, and vice versa. So it was very cool. And uh, some contacts and friends along the way as well. Do you still talk with any anyone that you mm-hmm. did that with? Uh, the, the, the forum folded a few years ago, but there is a Facebook group, and um, they started new ones, but the – the newer people just want to spam their books. They don't want to learn the craft like we did back then. So I I joined a website when I started writing where that it would be similar. It wasn't as tight knit as yours, but we give each other feedback. And I found that when I started writing, like I had my mindset to actually, hey, you want to be a novelist? Uh, the feedback from other writers or whatever, what have you, it. It was so helpful. Mm. I, I would only encourage people to do that. And it gives you a bit of perspective on how good you really are because it's easy for some people to think what they are seeing as the best writing ever. Uh, some people, they only see what they want to see. Uh, or in the, on the other spectrum, you don't realize that you are actually talented and you are only comparing yourself to the very best. And that's also not. You have to find the middle ground and other people's opinion will help you get there. Sure, and other people that aren't in your close circle would probably help a whole lot. Did- Luckily for me, my friends are not that heavy when it comes to horror, and most of them don't even read, so I didn't have that kind of feedback where people were praising my work or anything because they they hardly even read it. Man. I don't blame them. Because most of them wouldn't be friends with me if they read some of the stuff, the the (laughs) early stuff that I wrote. (laughs) Even my wife doesn't read any of that stuff. You know what? That's funny because, like, I've heard a lot of writers say my wife's my first – like, for if it's a guy, usually they say that my Mm. wife's my first reader. That's awesome. That's (laughs) great, you know? That's not the case for me and obviously not you, um, which – I'd like to talk about that because we haven't touched upon this with any guests yet. Um, for writers that listen to the show that they don't have the partner that uh, reads their stuff ever, maybe. Do you have any advice for them? Anything that might be helpful? Maybe not take it so personal. <laughs> My wife once, let's say, challenged me to write something different just to show her that I could actually write. So I wrote a, a, it's almost like a love story uh, with a lot of symbolism of a guy getting old, his wife dying, um, the, the tree that they used to, well, the tree where they met and sat and had picnics uh, eventually died and he made a bench out of it and carved a name on it. And it's a whole lifelong story like that. And, uh, I think that and that first story that I wrote and sold, I think those are the only two she read. And she loved both of them. Uh, somewhere she either read maybe a bit of the others or she heard me talking about cool ideas I had. And I think those ideas were really weird. <laughs> and she said, okay, I'm not going to read that. <laughs> and that's what it's 
Nah, it doesn't bother me at all. Uh, I think I'm, that's a that's a good attitude because uh, I mean, when I was starting up before I wrote, I I want I thought I was gonna be a filmmaker, director, screenwriter, all that, and I shot YouTube videos, edited them, and there's a lot of friends that are interested in doing that, just like there are a lot of friends that are like, you're writing a book, that's cool. But when the time comes, push comes to shove, and most people aren't going to go through with it, especially if they're not a reader or they're not interested in the craft. And I found out at a young age in my teens and early 20s, don't take it personal. You know, no, know your audience. Exactly. Now, my friends are mostly those who, those who do read. Uh, Wilbur Smith and nonfiction. That's it. They're not heavy into. I don't. I don't think they have the imagination that I have. I don't think they grew up being so dependent on imagination that I had to be. Uh, why I don't know. Um, it, my imagination was just a big companion for me since a young age. <laughs> Where, did you ever have a, a guardian of any sort, maybe your parents or grandparents, anyone really that was older, that really told you stories? And it doesn't even have to be horror. Any kind of oral stories or read your books where you just found yourself fascinated and hypnotized? Um, my sister, who's two years older than me, she read a lot of Stephen King. And I saw the book covers on her shelf always. And that attracted me a lot. I was very interested in the the front covers. Even today, I mean, I love a cool book cover. Even uh, movies like DVD covers, board games. I don't know why. Because the cover, you can make up your own story. You don't even have to read the inside. Uh, it already gets my imagination going. And uh, so I think that was it. But story-wise, I had to make up my own stories. <laughs> Brendan, you want to jump in, man? Yeah. So, I mean, if if, if we're moving on um, from the kind of um, genesis of creativity, let's say, how does uh, how does Crystal Lake come about? Um, what happened was with the writing, I had about 70, 60, 70 short stories published. Now, I only write short stories because – um, first of all, time I, was, I had a full-time job and everything, and it was kind of just a hobby. And then um, I started thinking about doing just a collection of my published stories because back then uh, KDP was a big thing and everyone was putting out their own books. And I thought, well, I'll just put out a short story collection, like I think it was 40,000 words, and just see what happens. And uh, because I live in South Africa, I had to apply for a tax exemption in America and England and all the big countries so that Amazon doesn't take another 30%. So they take their normal 30% cut, and if you don't apply, they'll take another one. So I had to give them a name for my publishing company, basically, and uh, that's where my wife and I kept talking about cool names, and we're still talking about who actually came up with the name because I think we both just looked at each other and said it at the same time. Crystal Lake Publishing because uh, it it has the harder connection, but if you ever want to go in another direction, it still fits. I mean, it's not like uh, off with your head publishing or something like that. And so I just gave them the name, put out my own book, and 
I enjoyed the business side of it so much more than the writing. I mean, writing is it's not always easy. It's really frustrating. Uh, and the business part was just, I think that's where uh, the genes that I got from my dad comes in because he's a business guy. And it's just that way of thinking, of uh, angling something, marketing something. And so I just took some friends and we just said, let's do an anthology. And from there, just kept going. And those who were in the anthology wanted me to do their collections. And eventually that hobby just became something that I wanted to do full time. And a few years later, I did start doing it full time. So now I'm here. <laughs> That's super useful uh, to that whole thing about uh, Amazon taking that extra 30%. I've seen um, books that I know authors self-published and they have a um, what looks like the name of a press on the back, even though I know that that person put it out themselves. And I always kind of wondered why that was. And it's to keep uh, piracy from happening, apparently. Yeah, I still don't understand it quite because they... They say you have to register for the tax exemption as an individual, but you still have to give a company name. Uh, they keep telling you don't put there that you are a company, you're an individual. So I just did what they told me to do. I took a 20-minute phone call to America, which cost a lot of money, but uh, it was worth it. So, <laughs> And you have to spell out every word from your name to the company name to your address, everything you have. I remember was quite funny because you have to spell it out later by later. <laughs> and here, here we are, you know, from uh, basically one step above self-publishing to now you've put out over a hundred books with Crystal mm. Lake. Uh, mm. And there's some, I'm sure there's some steps in between. Um, so <laughs> how did you make that jump from um, just kind of using it as a platform to put out your own uh, work to pulling in everybody else to what it's become? Um, I still think, well, okay, I'm a big believer of everything happens for a reason. Uh, you can, yeah, let's just stay with that for now. But, uh, and the, my book, doing my book was basically my way of uh, just figuring out the details, testing how it's done, because I didn't want to make a mistake with someone else's book. Uh, if I screwed up, it's my work. And then I'll try with another book until I'm satisfied with how I'm doing it. And then I would have gone on to other authors. Um, not that my book was a huge success. There was one, or well, there were one or two mistakes that I fixed, learned from, and I think that was August. Uh, August I registered the company. About October my book came out, and I believe March of 2013 the anthology came out. So, and the anthology did well. Um, it was great quality. The authors were very happy, and I believe six or seven of those authors were the first people that I published after that one, even in the same year. Um, but back then, I was the I had to do the editing, everything except the cover design. But luckily, I was already in a book with a bunch of other guys who used Ben Baldwin, so I just reached out to him. Uh, ask some of those guys if they would proofread, just check if I'm doing everything right. Because um, even back then, we were all part of a bunch of people who just helped each other. Like Even today, I'm, which is very cool because you, you need that. Uh, you can't start everything just on your own and think you know everything. Uh, so that's why today when others come to me for help, I do exactly the same thing like others did for me back then. 
It's definitely something I've noticed as an outside observer about the horror community is that it doesn't boil down to as much competition as you might think. Uh, you know, everybody else within reason wants to see other people uh, succeed. They want to see uh, new authors get their shot at being published. They want to see new publishers uh, succeed and get that ability to put out more stories. Um, I, I think that's pretty cool. And, you know, it definitely sounds like that happened a bit for you and you're certainly paying it forward. Crystal Lake does kind of a lot of anthologies. Does that stem from kind of your love of shorter fiction? Hmm, definitely. At the beginning, I thought we were only going to be a short story and anthology publisher um, because I love short stories. Really, it's I love a good novel. I love, uh, especially when you spend a lot of time with it, and uh, it's like the end of a long show. You're going to miss the characters, etc. But uh, short stories, uh, you can have one book with, of course, many stories, and each one takes you on a different journey. And in the end, it does feel like that rollerco feeling you got from a novel if it's well laid out and uh, even today still my favorite books that I always go to are short story collections from the 80s um, and even back 1890 to 1910 if you go look at those authors and some of their short stories it's the best stuff you'll ever read um, but I didn't want to limit the company to just short stories. And in the end, like now, we're open for submissions. We're only taking novels and novellas. And the reason for that is basically uh, the market at the moment. Short story collections sell if the author himself already has a nice following. Uh, a lot of readers will not take a chance with a new author's collection. Um, I read one somewhere the other day that with the horror genre, this is the one genre where the fans care more about who the author is than whatever the book is about. If you are hooked on an author, you will read in the horror genre whatever he puts out. And with romance, people read new authors every day just because the, the story sounds interesting. So the novels are doing better there. So I'm gonna, we're going to go in that direction for a bit. And of course, the anthologies are very expensive. Uh, I love anthologies. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Uh, but at the moment, uh, with the markets the way they are now, uh, it's very risky. I've had a few anthologies that failed badly, um, and you will never get that money back. Even if you sell for the next 10 years, you will not earn back. Um, for example, uh, a reprint from Neil Gaiman, um, I think we paid 20 cents a word on it, 30 cents, I'm not sure. Um, and that was a few years ago. Now, luckily, that anthology was a success. But a few months later, uh, you get a bad one. And if that one's followed by a bad one, then you're in trouble. And uh, with so many small presses closing these days, I started looking at what happened to them. Because we talk with each other. The presses, we're always looking at what happened, what could have been done. Sometimes we help. Sometimes when the authors come to us with the reprints and we, we ask them what happened. Uh, so I looked at all the bottles and I made sure that Crystal Lake doesn't fall into one of them. So um, I'm a bit safer these days uh, because if I lose this, I've, I lose everything. I, mean, I quit my day job 
of teaching. I can probably go back, but I'll never get the the same. I'll have to work for like a school instead of the government, for instance. So pension and that stuff's out. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You you don't want to throw yourself into a school these days. <laughs> no, I'll never go back. Yeah, I, I I taught for I think twelve years, and uh, the last two years almost killed me. Okay, mainly because I was doing two jobs. I mean, I I went to school. I then it's sport, uh, and then you come back and you have to put on a different hat, and now you have to work. And you have to write, and you have to publish, and you have to be creative, and you have to think ahead, and you have to market the previous books, and so on and so on, and learn. I had to learn a lot back then, a lot of research, lots of reading, lots of uh, nonfiction, lots of case studies. And in between, you still have, you need a life, and you need to give your wife and your family some attention. Luckily, I didn't have a kid back then, because I don't think I would have been able even now I'm struggling with just the, the amount of things that need to be done and how little time you have. That's why I sound like this. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be paraphrasing this, so it's definitely not a quote, but Joe, you said something. It might have been two or three years ago. I don't remember where it was, but you said something along the lines of uh, basically don't write, don't focus on writing so much that you lose your family. That stuck with me. Like you've personally, I'm not kissing your ass, but you've personally been a huge help with me. I joined the writing community in 2013, 2014. You're the only guy to date that's published me, which I'm thankful for. And uh, just listening to you talk um, through Facebook or Twitter, our communications, our conversations about family, about books, uh, you've been very helpful. So I would encourage anyone to kind of follow you on any platform that you use. I'm yes. glad I could in some way. <laughs> yeah, I have to say for me personally, I, I'm a big fan of balance. I keep saying this, but I'm still struggling to find it myself. I have worked too hard and pushed too hard at times, but it's because I knew where this was headed. Like I had a plan. I knew how to get there, and I knew it's going to be a, a hell of a lot of work, and I had to get it done before we had a kid. And uh, I'm, it's not where I wanted yet, but I can't work as hard anymore now as I could like five or six years ago. I mean, I could work easily. I mean, still last year, the year before, when the kid, our kid wasn't born yet, I'd work 16 hours a day straight. Sleep, work, sleep, work. That's all you did. And weekends you went and just reminded everyone you're still alive. Um, <laughs> now, when I try that for two days in a row, I get sick. So, because you've got night feedings and uh, the kid gets sick. And yeah. Uh, so, and I mean, I am over 14 now, so I don't think I'm going to try working till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning anymore. Uh, <laughs> I tried last year and it really did not work because the next day you're so buzzed that you're not going to be your best anyway. You're not going to work as fast as you would have worked, so it's not worth it. Rather get decent sleep, uh, have a bit of a social life, hang out with your family, and the time that you do work, you'll be more energized and focused. And, and when you stop working, you'll be excited about getting back to work, even if it's the next day. But... 
if you are so tired when you are done there, the next day looks like this massive mountain that needs to be climbed. So that is not a, a way that's going to work for very long. As, maybe when you're still young. <laughs> 20. <laughs> I, <so. laughs> I, I agree with that totally. You You have to have that balance. You can't just, you know... Um, and I would say I would leave it at you can't just work yourself into oblivion, but it, it you do have to take into account, you know, family stuff and hobby stuff like you, you have to really spread. It. Oh, and sleep. That's good, too. Um, <laughs> you, you, you have to spread it out or you just get like too thin, too fast. And then you're, yeah. you know, you're useless anyway. So exactly. For, for me, I'm very sad that I gave up some of my hobbies to make time and not that I have time yet, but eventually when I have, it's going to suck that I didn't stick to something. I mean, you need to clear your mind sometimes. Uh, there was a time where even reading was too much like work for me. Now I'm out of the habit of taking a book and reading for like an hour straight. I'll read 10 minutes and then I want to I'll put the book down and I want to jump onto another project and work. But I'll get over that. Um, it's just my reading brain is to just get some exercise and just to distract me, something that pulls me away from work just for a bit. Um, I even sold my PlayStation a few years ago, which was now with the lockdown and stuff. Uh, I'm really sad that I did because that would have been nice. Um, but I played a bit of guitar and which I still have. So maybe when the kid is a bit older, I'll, I'll show her a few things on the guitar and uh, maybe just pick that up a bit. But um, one of the bad things that also happens when you overwork, especially when you're sitting and with a keyboard, is uh, sitting is unhealthy, of course. And so I've messed up my back a bit. I've messed up my wrists. So so there goes the guitar playing, probably. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I should have, at a younger age, started listening to myself and just taken better care of myself. Uh, I won't change anything now because you never know what would have happened, but I'll definitely be a bit more cautious going forward. Definitely. It's definitely smart advice. Uh, I'd like to jump to one anthology, your Shallow Waters anthology. It's an interesting one to me because I, I don't know of too many flash fiction ones. Maybe there's a lot more than I realize, but... Uh, I recall you saying that you just have a real love for flash fiction, which is why it came about. That's and um, when I started writing, it was flash fiction. We had these weekly flash fiction challenges, competitions, always a hundred words, and uh, it really teaches you about making every word count. And uh, which is a bit difficult when you eventually make the jump to novels, because now all of a sudden, and I mean I did try a few things anything over 10,000 words it just felt unnatural to me because now you have to basically stretch it out and that's why when novellas started picking up a bit of interest because I remember a few years ago authors could not sell novellas anyway and now that's changing because it has the impact of it has the story of a novel but there's none of that excess fat. It's just straight into the story. Uh, you can read it in one or two sittings. And uh, I'm glad it's becoming more popular because I love novellas. But flash fiction, that's where it started for me. Um, 
because it's about the idea and making it fit into that short space. So it's a bit difficult with anthologies because, I mean, you can get a lot of flash fiction in there. That's why the Shallow Waters is just ebook anthologies. Uh, maybe one day we'll do like a, a best of the first 20 volumes or something and put that in a paperback. <laughs> Everyone gets paid a decent amount of money. And we'll, spend, we'll see, we'll get there. I'll try and do two more volumes before the end of the year. Uh, I, I guess I lost count. What volume are you? What was the uh, last one you published? There are five now. Okay. And I've got enough stories for two, almost three. Uh, but the problem is uh, the, it's not that the editing takes a long time. It's that there are always other books that need to be worked on before I can work on anything that is just me being the editor. Uh, so I always put other people's work as being more important. So this is always there on my laptop beside the bed for when I have like 10 minutes at the end of the day just to edit like one story. Mm. And then two weeks later, I'll edit another one. <laughs> so it takes a while before I can get uh, 20,000 words worth of sh- uh, flash fiction. <laughs> I mean, they seem like they're pretty popular. Oh. The reception has been pretty pretty good in, from what I've Definitely. seen. Definitely. Um, no, that was a that was a good move um, business wise, and just meeting new authors like you now and seeing new talent and knowing you to keep an eye on. And now that we have the open submissions, when people send in books, I recognize the names and I go check. Oh, this is that person who wrote that story which I really loved. And I'm not saying it's going to sway my choices, but does make me give a bit more attention to those books to see if even if I put in a bit more work or uh, can this turn into something or do I see the vision that the author has because I know a bit about the author mm. um, and I mean it's always good for an author to somehow get onto the radar of a publisher so people who enter these competitions and the ones who win it and even just the people who vote and then say why they like the stuff. Um, I've got a horrible memory, but for some reason, when it comes to this, or maybe because it's work-related, I remember the names and I remember the stories. And that's the thing. I, I have a bad memory unless I can connect it to a story. So even <laughs> if I told them, I think my mom the other day, uh, things I remember from years ago, there has to be a story connected to it. Interesting. Even if it's just furniture you buy somewhere, if something funny happened that day, I'll remember. <laughs> <laughs> do you, so do you have any more advice for any uh, newer or aspiring writers or even perhaps uh, someone that wants to be a publisher? Sure. Uh, research is very important, like, really. Uh, I think people uh, are in a bit of a hurry these days. Um, you have to be because there's a lot of competition and I mean, time is limited, but do it in such a way that you can, you have, let's say a third of your time goes into research. And then I think some people say, don't spend more than like one hour a day on social media, spend more time writing than social media. I have to spend a lot of time on social media. I spend two or three hours a day just answering emails. So that's a nightmare. But you have to find the balance. But research, I mean, even now I have to look at 
what's on the market, what's happening, who's publishing what, what are they writing about, what new social media platforms are there, what new tools and apps and whatever else, which is not a lot of fun, but if I don't stay up to date in some way, where am I going to be in 10 years? Research. (laughs) Which leads me to, I guess, the uh, next question I had. uh, What Where's it gone, uh, publishing-wise? Where has it gone from when you started to where it is now? So 2012 to 2020. Uh, people are a bit more, I'm not going to say scared, but um, they have to make sure what they are writing is accepted in the world today. You know, like um, it was a few weeks ago where the one lady pulled a book a few days before publication because someone asked her who gave her the right to represent this culture or race or something. Um, so that's a tricky part now. I mean, back then you did not get editors whose job it was to see if you are offending someone. Now you get, I think they call them sensitivity editors or something. Um, I could be wrong where that's all they do. They make sure that no one gets offended. Now in the horror genre, I also don't want to offend anyone, but I'm not going to let a good story be influenced by who are we going to offend. Um, but some books, I mean, I've read a few submissions where I was like, yo, this, this person is looking for trouble. But, <laughs> but we don't want to shy away from sensitive, sensitive subjects. We want to take it head on. I mean, it's in fiction that people learn about other cultures and empathy and being in someone else's shoes. I mean, we have male writers writing from female perspective in Stephen King's first book uh, and vice versa, which is a good thing because for the first time you are actually in that some, that person's shoes. But again, uh, research, you have to, you can't just make up stuff because that's where you're going to get caught out. You're going to rely on incorrect experience from your own life that, you think now this is how it works because that's what you experience, but that's just not what everyone has experienced. So I think that's about it. And of course, uh, the novellas that are a bit more popular now, thank goodness. Uh, short stories, not so much anymore, unless it's an author that they always go back to. So for, for me, for instance, uh, John Connolly uh, writes amazing short stories, <laughs> really. Um, and of course, Stephen King's uh, his older stories. And I'll read anything short that he puts out. Novels, not so much because I don't have the time for those those big books. I think that's about it. I'll probably have a nicer answer later <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I think your point, though, about um, uh, writing from different points of view and perspectives i think that actually ties in really nicely to your very first point in that answer of um using using a lot of time to conduct research um if you're if you're going to write from a point of view that's not yours you know look into it so you don't look like a jackass um or you know write like a jackass or act like any one of those really um so when you are looking at manuscripts that come in what do you look for uh, in them, in something that you want to publish? First of all, and this is the reason why I asked for the synopsis, the, the author's resume, and then, of course, the first three chapters, 
is I look at all three of them and it's almost like reading a short story, not expecting anything. So I just start reading it and something along the way pulls you in. Uh, you're not always sure what it is and by the time the story is done, for the next 10 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe in the rest of the day, the day, that's all you think about was that story. It stays with you. If you're really lucky, you might even dream about it that night. And these, I read about three of these submissions every day. I don't want to go through them too fast because I want them to almost, let's say, speak to me where there's just something about it. And if I have that curiosity of like, yes, this thing keeps nagging me, then I'll ask the author for the rest. And uh, then I'll get some, I have a few slush readers helping me out and then I'll get their opinion. And if they have the same uh, feeling I have, or they just say, this is really good. And I'll of course look at the writing first, because sometimes you have these amazing story ideas, but the writer is just not on that level yet where they can pull it off. Uh, but if I hear good things from those readers as well, then when I'm done with all of these submissions, I'll read those books full out. But so far we've had two books that were just from the start. The great story ideas, original twists to it, amazing writing, and um, even the possibilities of how to market it uh, excite me. Like this is, it's going to be really cool uh, releasing these books. So we already signed two of those books within the first, I mean, Okay, submissions close in what three days, but uh, I've got I want at least ten, but I think I'm going to end up with more more than ten books, <laughs> which is just going to be more work for me. But uh, <laughs> that's fine. You don't mind taking on the extra work? <laughs> Balance, <I'll>, come on. <laughs> I'll try, and that's what I always do. Like I'll say, yeah, fine, I'll do it, I'll do it, and do it. And if you say yes to like ten or twenty different small things before you know it, you you've got like more work. You've got enough extra work to like hire a whole new person to do it, uh, but I'll have to space them out. So I think I'll I'll accept the books that I really want first, and then I'll probably tell two or three authors, authors listen, I want to publish your book, but it's not going to be next year. It's going to be like early 2022 or something. If they agree with that, or maybe I need to pay in advance. I hope not, but uh, if it's a book I want, then we'll I'll make them an offer. <laughs> From a uh, publisher perspective, what are uh, how do you feel about taking on books that are the first in a series, whether it's a trilogy, uh, whether there's just two, or whether there's a lot more than three? Uh, they, they, at the moment, I am looking at one submission that is along those lines. As long as the first book can be a standalone, that's fine, because then we can see how that book does. And if, if it sells well and we get good reviews and people are asking for like, yo, I mean, it ended this way. Can there be another one? Will there be another one? Uh, I listen to the readers. That's it. And if, if they agree, um, then we'll do another one. I've, I've done sequels where the first one didn't sell well, but the readers who did like it are hardcore fans and they are fans and followers of Crystal Lake, so I listen to them. Um, so sometimes I make calls based on finances. Sometimes it's just if it's a cool story, I'll go with it, even if I know it's not going to be the best seller ever because I believe in the author and the book and it's something I enjoyed. 
So that's interesting. Uh, let's go back to you talked about Neil Gaiman's story that you bought the rights for uh, one of your anthologies. You've also published um, a few other big names like Ramsey Campbell and Clive Barker. How, how did that feel? Like the, those had oh, to be guys that were on your bucket list. Definitely. No, that's the one thing we, uh, you say about the horror community helping each other. And I received a lot of help in the early days. Uh, the biggest help I got was uh, one contact giving me information for another contact and that contact opening other doors to more of his friends or her friends and more authors. Uh, because now you can say, listen, uh, this guy told me to email you or I got your email from this guy. Sorry to bother you. Uh, would you be interested? And because Crystal Lake was still a young company, I could get away with not having to pay a lot because these guys all want to help. No, not that I took advantage of that. I asked them straight, listen, I told them, this is what's happening. This is, we started back then. Um, what, like, do you have reprints? Can we do a, like a quick interview? Or And a lot of them ended up like giving more or longer stories or uh yeah, it just rolled from there. And a lot of those guys saw that I was honest and sincere from the start and very open. I told them everything. I didn't hide anything, um, paid where I could. And a lot of them realized that. And we are still in contact today. A lot of them became friends. Some of them, I ended up publishing their books. Um, because if, if my, my goal was to, let's say, make money from that first book, I would have lost them immediately after that book and they wouldn't have been that relationship and that relationship then opened more doors and more doors. And so it just went on. And with some of those books, I mean, I got a lot of contacts that did not pan out. Like um, I had a, a lot of guys say, we're going to chat with this guy and that guy. And we did, but I mean, the bigger the name, the bigger the person, the less time they have. So a lot of these guys said like, Oh, thanks. Thank you for emailing. Um, wish I could, help but I'm very busy especially the movie guys I suck at names so I won't even recall all the names but uh, these are the people that I idolized as a youngster and grew up so a lot of them I got to work with especially with the non-fiction books with the authors so I'm very very happy for that and hopefully I can help other people as well so sometimes I share your contact but you definitely need permission from that person first because they do not hand out their contact info very easily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Understanding. So, yeah. One of those nonfiction uh, people that you looked up to, I imagine, would be Wes Craven. Mm. Yeah, that was a big one. You got <laughs> to interview him a little bit before he passed away. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I was a big fan of, uh, what was it, Swamp Thing. So we had a nice chat about that that movie. I was very young then. I think that's one of the movies where I had to snuck out of my room to go and watch. And even today, if it's on, I'm going to watch it just for that bit of nostalgia. And so I had a lot of questions for him about uh, the movies and his, like what he, his vision and what in, he ended up having. And uh, it was one of the authors and I can't remember the name now, but he said, no, you can get me the info, contact info. Uh, most likely nothing's going to happen, but we can do an interview and uh, sent the email and it was within the hour. The same with uh, Jack Ketchum. Some of these guys, doesn't matter how busy they are, 
Uh, Ramsey Campbell, they answer within the hour. And they'll tell you straight, yes, no, whatever. And I found out later that um, Wes Craven was, he was already uh, in pain. He was already a bit confused and stuff because I, I believe it was brain cancer. Mm. And uh, even towards the end, he was very helpful and he wanted to help with um, Stan Lee last year, two years ago, just before he died, let's say, let's say seven or eight months before he passed away. Um, another contact also, he worked with Stan Lee um, on the Spider-Man comics and he said, well, he was just a, like a staff writer back then, but he can get in touch with these people. Uh, for an interview. I think it was for It's Alive or one of those nonfiction books. Mm. And he said that he'd love to help, but I mean, he could hardly even see anymore by then. So we knew that he was quite unwell uh, towards the end. So I had this bad suspicion that something was going to happen because he wanted, he really wanted to help, but yeah, it's not always possible. And, and I think a lot of these guys, they've got. They've got a few more projects they want to get out before they run out of time. So they need to concentrate on those things. Can't blame them. I'd probably do the same. <laughs> so it's, it's always a bad thought knowing that one day you're going to be busy with a project and it's going to be, it's not going to be finished or you're going to be busy with a book and you're never going to get to the end. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. It sucks. It's, I think there's so many different ways to look at that too. And, and it all comes back to, to balance. You know, the reason you end up uh, working at two, three in the morning is because you're thinking, you know, I've, I, I've got to get this done. I've got to get that done. I want to accomplish this. I'm looking at my bookshelves. I'm never going to read all that stuff before, <laughs> before I, uh, you know, add yeah. to the mountain or, you know, kick it. But, um, so, I mean, that's a very complete list. It's a very big list of really cool people you've worked with. Is there is Are there any other names you would throw out, people you'd like to work with that you just haven't had the chance to yet? Hmm. Uh, who's the author who wrote Boy's Life? Robert McKinnon. Robert, right? yeah, yeah, yep. Uh, I'd love to work with him on something. Uh, there was a contact once that reached out to him, also very busy, uh, and he's not writing that much horror these days. Well, some of the guys, when you chat with them, they don't write uh, short stories or essays anymore. They just write novels. Why? Because that's where the money is. And again, you can't blame them. Um, some some authors have retired from short stories just to write novels. Stephen King, we could only get reprints and stuff. And even then, you have to buy it from whoever the rights holder is at that time. And it's normally another publishing company. And they ask unbelievable amounts of money, uh, a lot more than Stephen King would ask, because most of the time when you deal with him directly, uh, he does not ask a lot or anything at all. Uh, he's also one of those guys who wants to help out where he can, but to get to that inner circle is it's almost impossible. <laughs> and you said that you worked with Jack Ketchum. I actually didn't know that. Um, yes, he was in Tales from the Lake Volume 2 and some of the non-fiction books. Yeah, that, now that's a nice guy. Yo, I, I never met him in person, but you can quickly see just from someone's emails and the way they greet and say goodbye and um, just how they treat you and respond to you. That, and, I mean, and then you see online how other people talk about him, especially after conventions. And when I watch like the Stoker Awards online, you see how people 
just respond to his prayers and stuff like that, and that it doesn't go to his head at all. And that's a nice thing. A lot of these guys, uh, they don't think they're a big deal. I mean, even the biggest authors, they all have that uh, imposter syndrome where like they don't really feel like they belong there. I think it's normal for authors to be in a situation and feel like you don't belong there. <laughs> I've, I've only heard good things about uh, Dallas, uh, Jack Ketchum. Yeah, Dallas, shame. Um, I was, oh, sorry, when I had to email him, I always had to think, oh, what was his name? What's his name again? What's his name again? <laughs> Dallas. Oh, Dallas Mayer. How do you pronounce his last name? Yeah, I think it's Mayer. M A M A Y R. Y R. So before we move on to Brent's got some good questions, but I just wanted to cover the. I don't know if you guys have an official title or name. Uh, the network of publishers. I think there's like a hundred of them that that you're a part of. Yeah, we just said. Uh, coalition of publishers or something like that so we basically okay, coalition is more like a short-term thing so whenever we need everyone we all step up but there is a secret facebook group and everyone is on there i've got everyone's email so if something big happens um, like a press closes down i email everyone and say like let's meet up in the group and see where we can help out or fix a problem or whatever because when a press closes down, if it's if they handle it incorrectly, it looks bad on the rest of us. I mean, you'll get a lot of Facebook chats where people are saying about, yeah, oh, the small presses are, are cheating the authors and stealing and so on. So we just want to make sure that's not the impression everyone gets. Yeah. I, that's a definitely a service that is invaluable. Absolutely. All right, so well, Joe, I I was. Googling a little bit about you uh, before we we did this, as one does, and I just kept coming across this picture of you posing with a cheetah, and I and I and I need to know more about that. Oh, shame that cheetah passed away last year from cancer. Believe it or not, <laughs> that was bad. Now it's a, a local people here. Uh, I was still teaching back then, and one of the female teachers she worked at this um, cheetah resort. Cheetah Wildlife Sanctuary, I believe it is. And they've got like 10 cheetahs and a panther and so on. And But you never know when you about these places. You want to go and check for yourself. So uh, we went there that day to make sure because you could, I think it was for a charity book we did. I wanted to give some money to them to basically like uh, help feed a cheetah for a year or something like that. So um, my wife and I went there. We went to check it out and that specific one was tame. It actually sleeps on the bed with the owner. It's like <laughs> just one big cat. And so it walks around and rubs up against you and stuff. But when we took that photo, I was actually very scared because that one, uh, if you've ever heard a cat purr, just multiply that sound by like a hundred and you could, you could hear like basically the heartbeat of that cat. And you're like, is this cat going to jump me now or something? Uh, so that was very scary, but also exciting. And it's just weird to see them out of a cage, just walking around like that. It's, uh, it was quite the experience. Real quick, I got to ask, have you seen that documentary, Tiger King? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Uh, this is not one of those places at all like, uh, where 
it's about making money. I don't, I don't even think they charge people. Uh, if you want to help or feed one for a year, they get at least, um, not, it's like a adopt a cat type program, stuff like that. And then school, schools can take kids there and go look at the Panthers and so on because we don't have a lot of that in, in this area. Um, we do have a lot of farmers who have tiger cages and stuff. And that's where some of the abuse happens. But uh, these places are much safer. And because South Africa is such a big farming area, um, the cats that are in the wild, they get shot by the farmers to protect the sheep and all that stuff. So it's actually better for them in these types of places, unless sometimes they can get taken to the nature reserve parks or even a bit up in Africa where there's a lot more of these places for them. Hmm. Or safer places. Where there's still a bit of jungle left. <laughs> no, I know. For, for, forgive my uh, poor grasp on geography, but are animals like cheetahs, are, are they common down in South Africa or are they more north in, in Africa? No, I think they're more in the bottom. Um, they like the felt... The, the grass because they can hide quite well. I'm not an expert at all, so, um, but there are a lot of um, these climates, uh, the savannas or whatever you want to call it, where you get the same one you get here, you get like a bit higher up there. And then like, South Africa is not even a big place, but if you go from the left to the right, you find like five or six different climates with whatever plantation, uh, plants and animals go with that. Um, on the left side, it's almost like desert area. On the right side, you've got subtropical palm trees and banana trees and stuff. So, which is weird because it's really a very small country. You can drive through, straight through in like one day, most likely. Not that I've ever tried, but yeah. <laughs> not like America. I, I know a road trip over there can take you days. I always laughed at people going on road trips for like three or four days and over here, we moan when we have to drive for like eight hours somewhere. <laughs> it's, no one wants to do a longer than eight hour drive. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm in that boat too. I don't, I don't want to go far. <laughs> Speaking of being relegated to one area, not going far. How has um, quarantine been in South Africa? Uh, we were on like strict lockdown for I think three weeks back in March, April, and. We're doing it in levels. I think we're on level three now. So level three means you can go to the shop, you can go to work, but you cannot visit friends or family. Uh, I know for a fact we're not allowed to visit family yet. So now everyone's complaining that, you know, if uh, the, for instance, the taxi drivers are not following the rules where they now, they're supposed to only be like half full, three quarters full, but uh, they were, there was a big protest and everything. So now they getting away with it. So the joke is if you see uh, your neighbor's son visiting her, you have to phone the police. But if you see an overloaded taxi, you, the police are going to laugh at you or something like that. Uh, so they, there's a lot of uh, court cases, a lot of people not happy with how things are. Uh, schools shut down now again. They were open. Now they closed again for another two to three weeks because we're in our, our peak now. So most of the time we're still at home, uh, which sucks. And my wife was working two weeks ago, and the guy that uh, was on duty with her, he tested positive. So there was a big scare because he, he was in contact with a lot of the children at the school and other teachers. And luckily, nothing happened there. But two or three weeks later, he was already in lock, like 
tested and locked down. Then a, a kid got sick and then the hostel kid got sick and then everything just started closing down. Now political parties are taking on the government because they want the schools open again. So it's a big mess. But I think every country in the world, no one really knows how to respond to this. I mean, there's no guidebook or anything. So I think there's one or two countries in the world that the citizens aren't complaining about how it's being handled. So. Mm. That's that's to, to me, that's just wild that, you know, uh you're halfway across the world from from Patrick and I, and I mean, there's just so many parallels in what you're saying uh, to what's going on here. Um, so now, as far as publishing and everything, does that does being locked down impact you at all, or is it business as usual? For me, it's business as usual. Actually, more work. But at the beginning, there was, I think, in end of February and March, there was a big drop in. Just basically sales overall. Everyone was a bit unsure. Everyone was, I think, hanging on to their money and stuff. And then in March, everything just went back to normal. Um, we've had some of our best months so far this year, which is strange. Um, America especially went quiet for a while regarding sales. But um, I went on. A lot of publishers said they're going to stop publishing books for a few months, especially paperbacks because shipping and warehousing and that stuff is a bit of a problem i mean for me to order one book now uh, from our from the ingram printers can take up to 22 days just to print and when shipping in america is also a bit of a nightmare at the moment so let's say you're going to wait a month but if you print it through amazon the longest we've waited was 10 days even though they say it can take a lot longer it, I think it basically just comes down to you're not, it's going to be difficult to set up an event, but you can't set up an event anyway. So if everything's done online, no one's complained so far. Although I've heard of one person who ordered a book that never arrived. So Amazon sent another one. So they took it on as it was their mistake. Something went wrong there. But otherwise, we haven't had any issues. So I went on. I think because they were... There was a lot less competition, less new books being published. Those books maybe did better, but um, I haven't seen any negative impact otherwise when it comes to publishing. So it feels a bit bad some days chatting about books and um, the authors behind the scenes and how everything that went in the book while the rest of the world it looks like it's burning down. Uh, it feels bad being business as usual when everyone is anxious and scared and everything but i mean my wife might not have a job in a few months she might not get paid in a few months we have no idea so i have to keep going that's it <laughs> but that's just it is you have to keep going because i'll tell you what joe i have lost myself in more than a couple books in the last five months <laughs> trying to just you know push off yes. that you know am i going to have a job in september am i you know all the uncertainty that's out there. So, I mean, I, I totally see where you're coming from, and I agree that it feels a little bit weird in these end times to be talking mm -hmm. about books and authors and stuff like that, but <laughs> it, it keeps me sane. Yeah. So. <laughs> now, I think that's also why I want to just make a bit more time during the day for myself just to read again, because I also have to escape and uh, without seeing the business side of I mean, reading. I just want to lose myself in a nice story and be excited about going to bed tomorrow night to read a bit more. Uh, so I definitely want to go back to that 
But I think everyone needs it. And even the writers, I mean, you can't abandon them now and say, sorry, nothing's going to happen publishing-wise for the next few months. It's like the athletes out there, I mean, those guys, even though they are practicing, they're not competing at a professional level. So uh, they are. there's going to be, what, ring rust when they eventually get back. Now, um, authors, they can keep writing, but if they're not writing for to be published or they're not working on their own campaign, I mean, every author these days has to market themselves. You are the, the product almost more than your book is the product. So you have to just keep going. You can't just say, okay, pause on that part of my life for the next year. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. The readers keep reading. <laughs> That's true. Are you seeing an influx or perhaps not? That's not the right word. Are you seeing uh, more submissions with apocalyptic themes? No. I've heard a few readers say they are not interested in that at the moment, although some say it doesn't bother them. It doesn't bother me. I quite like it. Um, when we had that flash theme for last month with uh, post-apocalyptic, I was a bit of a risk. I thought, man, am I going to get entries? And it was actually quite, we didn't get as many, but the stories that came out of there, even the readers who on Patreon who voted in the end said those were some of the best entries they've read for like the last six or seven months. They were amazing stories that came out of that. So I don't think people should shy away from it, but I mean, it's the reader's choice if they want that kind of thing right now. I think some people, it looks too much like, a, like you say, the end times out there and the end of a horror book. <laughs> or the inciting incident <laughs> of something that's like worse to come but I think Definitely. I mean everything ends everything changes in the end so yeah that's why you have to keep planning as if you're just gonna have new problems next year so that's true we don't know what's around the corner like if this whenever a vaccine comes out there's probably a few hundred other plagues that could kill us Ugh, the vaccine alone is going to be a problem because not everyone wants to take it. So that's it's going to be there and then you're going to have new problems. And then someone's going to get sick from the vaccine and then there's going to be new problems because they're going to blame everything, everyone. So Yeah, <laughs> that's that's, our species will forever be at war with each other over everything. The exactly. apocalypse is definitely slower than I thought it was going to be. That's... <laughs> It's a bit, bo- bit boring some days. It's really crawling, yeah. yeah. I thought, you know, maybe maybe <laughs> knock it out in like a week or two, but no, this is really dragging on at this point. Are there a lot of slow days for you, Joe? I I wish there were more slow days, <laughs> really. Yes. I wish I could, like, I mean, just for me to say I'm going to take four days off is unheard of. It's impossible. I can't. I should be able to, but no. So I actually was joking there during that, that three-week lockdown. Like everyone was watching movies and just like Netflixing and reading books. And I was like just working away. The only person I knew this side that was just working, working, working. And I was actually quite jealous of people who could just like lie on the couch. And you don't even have to think what are your responsibilities for the rest of the day. And we've got the kid, so it's bottles. Well, you know that, so... <laughs> You're also going through the same thing. It's uh, medicine this time and bottle this time and sleep this time and everything has to be ready. And, yes, and then they get sick and 
you know you're not going to probably get enough sleep tonight and tomorrow you just do the same again. So it's a lot of routine. I like routine, but your Sundays, it gets too much. <laughs> yeah, just, and I'm reaching that point that you warned me about uh, through Messenger a while ago. My little guy's crawling, moving a lot, standing on his own, and the next one is going to be walking. That'll be a little scary. Luckily for us, um, Kaylee, uh, she took a long time, not a long time, I think a, a year and three months before she started walking, but by, by then her legs were quite strong, so the moment she started walking, she walked. It wasn't like two or three steps fall down and hit stuff everywhere. She just, the moment she started walking, there she went. And I think she's fallen, she falls when she runs a bit, that's it, but her reflexes are quite well. She she blocks every time. She hasn't really hurt herself <laughs> yet. So, And if There's, she does it, something, you just distract her, make a funny noise, show her something, and she starts laughing again. So it's fine. <laughs> Do you and your wife read often to her? We read every night. She's got this little um, kid's Bible that she grabs every time. And, and the one night she repeated one of the names, and we just kept laughing about that. Uh, but we don't like read read the way I want to yet. I think we'll do that when probably from two years. Well, that's December. So, uh, but that's going to be very important. And I'm a big fan of reading, and especially at night. Um, it's even for myself. Like uh, the the reward is you can stay up a bit later if you're reading. Otherwise, you have to sleep. No, no watching TV and stuff. So. Um, that worked for me as a youngster, and I see my sister's kids as well. Like bedtime is let's say nine o'clock, ten o'clock, but if you read, you can stay like you know, half an hour later. So I'm, I'm going that. to steal that one. That's yeah. awesome. I didn't even think of that. That's it's very nice, and I mean then you can read for them, and it becomes a family thing. Um, who's that? Uh, I know Neil Gaiman does it. A lot of a lot of authors do it. Uh, that M. Night Shyamalan guy. Oh, M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> that's the one, yeah. Uh, he uh, wrote stories for his kids and then well, he, he basically just made it up off the cuff sitting in the bed and then he went and he actually wrote the stuff down and got someone to draw pictures. I think that's the Lady in the Water movie that was born from that. And uh, like oh, Stephen wow. King got his kids to read books to him and recorded like audiobooks so he would listen to his kids reading books for him but that was actually his way to get them to read books and I, th- I think he paid them I'm not sure for every book that they turned into an audiobook for him I'll probably do the same <laughs> so, just to get it uh, you're talking about uh, Stephen King's kids when they were kids he would pay them to read I, not his think, books no 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 just any book like, okay. uh, I think he, I'm not sure but I, rem- I know he uh, they turned it into audiobooks for him. And now the nice thing is uh, you can listen to it even today. I mean, he's got recordings of his 10, 12-year-old kids reading to him. I mean, that's something that's priceless. I'll, I'll definitely want some of that as well. I never knew that. Brennan, did you know that? I, I don't think I did. Seems like it worked out for them, though, for mm-hmm. Owen and yeah, Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, I mean, they're kind of known, you know. Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, yeah. So, Joe, is there... Because for me, my son's too young right now, but there's there's a few books that I definitely want to read to him, and they're all different levels of reading. Is there? I'd be happy to tell you what those are, but before I do that, if you're interested, 
are there any books that you have in your mind where you're like, I'd love to read this to my little girl? I don't have them in my mind because I already wrote them down. <laughs> I, already, <laughs> I already made a list of, and I keep adding to it because I'm going to forget. Um, I've got a list of books that I want to either read to her or just make sure she gets one day, mm-hmm. or even movies that I can't wait to watch with her. Now, if you want to talk about a book and a movie, uh, The Princess Bride, for instance, is one of my favorite books and movies, so we're definitely going to watch that one. Uh, Labyrinth, the movie with um, oh, yes. uh, David Bowie. Yes. Uh, books. Um, yes, there's a lot of great books. And the first book I read that I remember, well, the first English book, which is one of the books I got from my sister, was It and uh, Frankenstein. Now, Frankenstein's a bit easier to read than It, so we'll probably do that. And Dracula as well. Dracula was one of the first, I think that's the biggest book I read as a youngster before I read It, if I remember correctly. And uh, so, but it will be more of a fantasy, like, like Labyrinth. Uh, Princess Bride, those types of books, just to see how dark I can go before we reach her limit. I'm not going to push her to darker stuff, but whatever she likes, we'll do that. I got one for you, man, and I suggest this to Brennan, too. And it's written by, it's a movie. It's it's meant for, it's a family movie, but it's dark fantasy. Um, it was written by Neil Gaiman. I forget who else wrote it. It's called Mirror Mask in uh it's based in the UK, this family, this daughter. Uh, I think she's like 13 or 14. Her parents run a, a, a circus. And uh, long story short, she, from my understanding, the way I took it, she fantasizes about this other land. And it's basically a modern-day Wizard of Oz, if you will. It's, it's just full of CGI, but it works for this movie. Mm-hmm. I personally love watching it by myself. When my son's older and actually pays attention, I want to show that to him. And knowing that Neil Gaming wrote it, I he oh, replied to one of my tweets, and I told him, "I'm like, you're you, you've managed to be a beautiful soul." I said something like this: "You managed to have a beautiful personality, stay humble, and be successful. I want that." <laughs> and I'll he said, anything. Yes. I'll read and watch anything he works on. So, okay, I, I even watch his like his speeches and stuff. Like uh, when he talks at universities and oh, stuff. Oh, those are great. I listen to anything that guy says. Uh, have you ever listened to one of his audiobooks that he reads? I it's, haven't done that yet. I've listened to his uh, commencement now. speeches. Yes, sir. now you can he can read anything on an audiobook and I'll listen to it. And his voice is just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I actually want to. Um, sign up for the master class that he talks about to learn how to uh, write. And I, I don't care what he has to say either. I want to listen to him. No, definitely. Um, the, um, the, for books, there's only three that come to mind when, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Lex H Jones, but he came out with this book through sinister horror company, uh, UK based publisher. It's called the old one in the sea. It's a fictional. Have you, have you happened to, I've, I looked at the book before it was published. Um, oh, okay. I, I know Lex's work. It's very good. I actually, we kept saying about one day we need to do something together. Um, I blurbed a book for him, one of his early books as well. Um, so I looked at 
the old one in the sea. And unfortunately, I don't have the, like I told him, like, man, I would love to do something like, like that with him, but I don't think I would have been able to do the book justice in like marketing wise back then. Uh, even now, like, uh, I'd rather test it on something else first than go and screw up his book. So I'm glad everything worked out in the end for him. And uh, it's a great book. I have, I have the PDF. So, uh, I can't buy books from over there and ship them here. They always get lost. So <laughs> everything oh, is PDFs or ebooks. And I've lost some amazing books. I've lost signed books. I've lost Ooh. gifts that people send me. Now it's either gets lost, stolen, or they burn down someplace and the books get burned. So <laughs> that's that happens a lot. <laughs> that book's phenomenal, though. I mean, you don't have to love. You don't even have to be a fan of Lovecraft to uh, appreciate that exactly, one. Yeah. So the other one is from an author from your neck of the woods, uh, J.R. Tolkien, originally from mm. South Africa, um, The Hobbit. It's more advanced reading, of course, but I would love to read him that and the Chronicles of Narnia series. Yeah, exactly. I can't wait to watch. I told my wife the other day, I can't wait to watch uh, Lord of the Rings, all three movies with this one. I wonder how old, old she has to be before we can do that. She just laughs. <laughs> but yeah, um, Tolkien was born actually – year in Bloemfontein where I live, um, something like three or four well, kilometers away. Um, there is a lot of talk about which house exactly, because a lot of the guest houses want to say, no, it was this our house, so the people can stay there. But it is in this area, and I believe they moved away when he was two years old. They went back to England. Right. But he's still, he's still also, South African. Yeah. Also, uh, during the war... There was another author who was a journalist here. Man, I suck at names. Arthur, no, it wasn't Doyle. Ugh, if, I'll probably remember tomorrow. But So a lot of authors have come this way, stayed a few years, or whether they were born here and then moved away again. Some of my favorite authors. I love authors from, from those eras. Yeah, they're, they're interested yes. for sure. And as far as the Lord of the Rings trilogy movie goes, I fell a lot. When I saw the trailer back in like 2001, so I would have been 12 then. I was like, what is this? I need it in my life. And it's done so many one. If it wasn't for that, I don't think Game of Thrones, the show, would have been a thing. Exactly. Yeah. Brennan, do you um have any books or have you read any books to your kids that, that you were like, I got to read my kid this? I have a wish list. Um, and it's it actually lines up a lot with you know, some of the things we've already talked about, but my, just the way my kids operate and they're, they're a little bit older, they're seven and 10. The way they operate is if the movie holds their attention, then they might be into the book. If the movie doesn't hold their attention, there is no chance. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Um, they absolutely adore the Narnia movies. Uh, even the older, I don't know if you've ever seen the like cheapo one. Yes. Yeah. They, they have those on DVD and they love them. Right. They're horrifying. Um, <laughs> like the, the practical effect nature of them. Um, and right now my, uh, younger one, he's, um, he is hyperlexic, which basically means that he reads above his level by a pretty wide amount. Right now he's going through those books. Um, and he does not want me to read to him. Not the, they only like me to read shorter stuff to them. So he's working through those. We tried, they love the Harry Potter movies. We tried those, not, not, not a fan of the books. And 
they don't really care about the Lord of the Rings movies, I don't think the books would stand a chance at this point or the Hobbit. So it's it, like we're working towards it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, I'm I'm curious, man. Uh, what do you see for the future of Crystal Lake Publishing? I'm now at that stage of the year where I start making plans. Not start making plans. I've already had plans for next year. But now I have to decide what am I definitely going to do so I can put the steps into motion. And uh, we are looking at like a poetry division because I love dark poetry, but and there's a lot of authors out there, but not a lot of opportunities for them. Like the HWA has a nice that anthology they have every year, but I don't know. I just I haven't figured out exactly how to make it, like give it a unique spin, um, exactly how to do it. But I'll need a few bigger poets involved and somehow showcase the lesser known ones and maybe put in some of the stuff online and in books. I mean, imagine every Crystal Lake book starting with a poem by a younger poet, maybe something that fits the theme of the book. I don't know. So I'll, I'll figure that out. And uh, because at the end of the every year, we have uh, like a small fundraiser to basically just find whatever weird idea I have for next year. Because it's difficult to fund a new project with the company's current flow, cash flow, because you risk a lot. I mean, that money is supposed to go to new covers and new books and stuff. So if it flops, then then you've got a big problem with the whole year. So we'll see what I'm going to do, how much it's going to cost, and just try and raise like one or two grand to help that. But I don't know. I'm so busy with other stuff now that I keep pushing it back, pushing it back, but I have to eventually figure something out. But it has to be different. I mean, I'm not going to copy what others have already done. Because yeah, poverty is a big market, but I'm not going to let that like keep me away because it is it is really cool and I love it. And I'm just going to throw I'm just going to throw a name out there, John Edward Lawson, man. He uh, you want to talk about a unique spin on poetry that that's one name I would throw out there. I'd, I'd say Stephanie Widovich, but you already work with her. Yeah. I, um, I talked to her about this as well. And if she wasn't so busy, she's very busy. I'd, yeah. I'd already, I would have already t- spoken to her and said, like, just let's do something. What do you think is going to work? Uh, because I know, I mean, even at her work now, um, she teaches at, I believe, a university. And now with the, all the lockdowns and stuff and school that's all weird and everything they've got a hectic schedule now for the rest of the year to get like to try and fit in all the work so i don't want to burden her with even more stuff but i will most likely need her input um, and she is my main person when i talk about poetry and alessandro menzetti in italy but he also runs his own place so i know he's busy mm. but these are the people that I'll at least have to speak to and see, like, what is the need out there for the poets and the readers and see where we can come up with something at least. Yeah, for sure. And two other names, just going to throw them out there, Sarah Tanlinger and Christina Singh. Uh, I mean, they're they're pretty big names. I wish I could think of more on the top of my head, but I'm not that in tune with poetry. But I did read Stephanie's last year. Um Apocalyptic man, the apocalyptic mannequin. Yeah. That was that's, great. That's, that was awesome. Yeah, really. Brennan, do you have any final questions for Joe? 
No, I would definitely echo you throwing out um, John Edward Lawson, though, because I, of all the presses I can think of, Raw Dog Screaming, which he co-runs, is definitely doing more with uh, bizarro poetry, dark poetry, hor- straight-out horror poetry than pretty much anyone else that I can think of off the top of my head. But there's that's one press out of the many, many, many that are doing horror fiction. There's definitely a market for it. See, that's the thing. Like, if if people eventually know that if they're looking for poetry, these are the presses that you can go to, then I think you might find it financially viable. Uh, but um, for now, I've done one poetry book a year since I think since we started. And although a lot of them have won awards, I think only two of them have been like financially like worth the investment. It's not a it doesn't cost a lot like an anthology. But, I mean, it's a very small market, and a lot of people wait for the book to go on sale anyway. So with poetry, uh, you normally might just stick to the asking price, because otherwise people are just going to buy it for 99 cents, and they're never going to buy They're not going to sell it at full price. <laughs> so we'll rather just stick to that. I know the bulk pricing system is always something the small press owners are talking about. I uh, ask too much or too little. Should you go on sale or should you launch at 99 cents? It's always an ongoing debate. That does <laughs> that 100% sounds like a full time job. I don't I yeah. don't know how you balanced it, man. Yeah, I'm looking for that magic balance, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> no, not even close. Yes. Sir. Joe, is there anything? that you would like to make sure uh, people know, or this comes out next Monday, which would be what August 3rd. So is there any openings that you want people aware of uh, open submissions or anything? Uh, We'll be closed by then for the novels and novellas. Um, By then we should start with this month's, the flash fiction theme for this month is most like uh, camp horror and, stories by the lake etc so that should start around the third i think yeah on monday yeah the first story will be posted i hope i don't have anything else coming for the rest of this year other than just book launches because <laughs> i don't know where i'm gonna fit it in uh, the newest thing that i have done is because uh, because of the whole lockdown thing uh, i started talking about guys about just people need to laugh and just forget about stuff is we started that dark humor what do you call it a newspaper periodic or whatever uh, coffee beans and conquest which is the weirdest name ever but it just tells you just what weird kind of stuff we do there but that's the newest thing that we've done and um, we've got five authors who are now our journalists and they write the weirdest funniest articles jokes interviews uh, book reviews, some real books, some made up books, and <laughs> every second day we just posted like it's a, a news article. And the the followers that we do have say it's very cool with their morning coffee. So like you're reading a newspaper, but for people with ours like darkish, darker humor, <laughs> especially the horror writers, awesome. you know, we like that kind of stuff. <laughs> for sure. Now so it's, uh, it's, also, it's also subscription based. Okay. We have a Twitter page where we can put like a bunch of just jokes and share stuff and doesn't have to, you don't have to pay for that at least. So. Cool. 
So everybody, just listen up for a minute because we got some exciting news. A reminder about Mary San Giovanni's Buzzbook Expo. Brendan, take it away, sir. Yeah, just before we wrap it up, I want to remind readers, book reviewers, podcasters, librarians, booksellers, and lovers of all great scary books that Buzz Book Expo 2020, it's just around the corner. Uh, Buzz Book Expo is a live streaming event in which publishers will be announcing all of the great new horror fiction releases they have to offer through the coming year. There's going to be interviews, Q&As, presentations, book cover reveals, and more from all of your favorite horror publishers, and it's all for free. That's important, all for free. Spend two days immersed in exciting book talk from publishers and authors alike, and it takes place from August 22nd to 23rd. All information, including links to the expo, can be found at marysangi, that's S-A-N-G-I, dot wordpress dot com slash buzz dash book dash dash expo dash 2020 we hope to see you there joe where oh sorry i'm gonna i'm gonna steal your spotlight go for it um (laughs) joe where can people follow you and crystal lake online facebook just crystal lake publishing twitter crystal lake pub instagram i believe it's also just crystal lake pub i used to have a twitter account for myself but I should actually deactivate that thing. I haven't checked it in years. <laughs> um, and the website. Oh, I had a deal with a with a guy for a new website during the lockdown. It was very difficult to build this thing because uh, I couldn't go to him. So we had to on the phone. I had to say, "This is what I want." I'll send you examples. And uh, when we were actually living in the same town, and uh, that fell through because of these health issues. I can't go into too much there, but it's a major issue. So I had to look for new guys. So we would have launched the website now already, but the old one is still there. I'm not 100% happy with it, but you know, we still have a website, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I tried out a few other places, but I mean, uh, the rule is if you can't commit, don't even start because it's not going to be worth it. And I cannot commit to anything else. Right now, and I mean Twitter and Facebook is like if you have that and Instagram, then uh, you will at least get some people on one of them. Most people on one of them. It's exhausting. Right. I can only commit to the yes. one, so. <laughs> yeah, really, it's exhausting because even on Facebook, I've got um, my profile, I've got my uh, page, I've got the Crystal Lake page, then there's the coffee page one, there's that Stillwater Bay series on Patreon. That one has a page. Some of the series and books have pages, but at least I don't have to go there a lot. But uh, just going through the, the notifications every day and emails, it's like, and by the time you're done with that, you think, yes, I've already done a lot of work and you've actually done nothing. Now you actually only start working and then the replies start coming in. And <laughs> you Sometimes you just have to go offline, just get some work done. <laughs> Joe, thank you so much for giving us your time. Really appreciate it. It means a lot to us. Anytime. Better than sleeping. So. <laughs> By uh, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's almost 11 o'clock there, right? <laughs> That's uh, 10 to 12. Almost, yeah, it's almost 12. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost 6 o'clock. We'll let here. you go, man. <laughs> I haven't been awake this late, probably in like three or four weeks. Like, even my doctor said, like, really go to bed earlier. Try and get some sleep, and like after I'm like completely healed up and stuff, we'll see why I'm so like just plain tired and confused lately. But I'm I blame lack of sleep, so and too much you can, work. You can totally hate us if you feel like hell tomorrow morning. 
<laughs> yeah, fingers crossed everything goes smoothly tonight because most nights the baby is fine you wake up like two or three times a night but some nights she wakes up and then she just sits up and then takes about two or three hours before she falls asleep again so and it's extremely boring because you can't come to the tv or anything you can't talk to them you can't play with them or they get used to it and they think hey this is nice let's wake up every night so it's very boring just sit there for two hours and wait for her to fall asleep yes. uh fingers crossed man yeah, joe, so hopefully joe have a good night brother <laughs> okay thanks guys you too thank you that was fun okay see you bye we are in your mind we are all around you are now leaving deadhead space